please be seated. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians uh, that they already knew the grace of the Lord. He said, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that through his poverty you might be made rich. He used that gospel message to motivate the people of God to be generous, uh, to care for the poor across uh, ethnic boundaries, uh, and also to support uh, God's mission to the nations. Uh, we have a brother here to preach God's word to us uh, who is motivated uh, by God's wealth and God's great sacrifice to save the nations. And so, Rich, please come and preach to us tonight. Good evening, everybody. What night is this? Monday night? Is that right? Am I, I'm on a schedule? Okay, great. I've lost count. I'm just so glad to have been with you. Let me say before we start the message tonight, just what a privilege it has been to be with you. It means so much to me because, well, for one, I mean, this is Monday night and look at the number of people that came out to church for the 19,000th time on Monday night, okay? That's fantastic. It's just fantastic that you would do that for something like the mission of the church. It's, it's a wonderful joy. And I've gotten to talk with a number of you personally and directly, and that's always been encouraging to me while I've been here. And just your enthusiasm and the wonder of what God is doing in your church. Let me just say it that way. I get around a lot. Okay, it's not always as happy a story as of what as what you've got right now. Amen. Yeah. So rejoice while you can. Okay. <laughs> Be happy. Be happy because good things are happening. And that happiness that you have in this church goes to your children and the memories that they're building, your grandchildren. It's just it's a lovely thing. We're going to read from a passage. I had the privilege of the Southern Baptists, believe it or not, asking me to write a commentary for them on First and Second Corinthians. And this was 100 years ago, but nonetheless, I did it. And if you don't know New Testament, I'm not into it, okay? <laughs> I'm into the Old Testament, okay? That's what I taught, and that's what I studied. That's what I'm supposed to know. Um, but I did this for the sake of my parents who uh, raised me Southern Baptist, and I was happy to do it. It was a privilege. But this passage we're going to talk about tonight and look at for just a few moments together is one of the passages in First and Second Corinthians that really impacted me personally. And I'm hoping that you'll be able to see why that's true. And um, yeah, it's just a lovely, lovely passage. Hear now the word of God from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and 
entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray together. Lord, bless our time together around this portion of this precious book that was written so long ago. Lord Jesus, come and teach us. Send Holy Spirit to touch us, to move us, so that we may be empowered to do your will and to honor you in this great mission that you've given us. And as you do that, we will praise you. We will give you all the glory for it. Amen. Amen. You know, this is Missions Festival Week. And you know, before you walked in on Sunday night, Sunday morning rather, you know what was coming, that your elders and your pastors want you to consider the significance of this thing that we call the mission in a way that perhaps you don't do every single day of your life. That's why we're here together. And they want you to consider that in at least three different ways. They want you to consider, for example, that you may be called by God, yes, you, even at your age, to do something special, something special for the mission of the body of Christ that you've never done before. It could be long-term, it could be short-term, it could be far away, it could be local, but something that you feel the tug that, you know, I've got the time and I've got the energy and the health to do it. I'm going to do something special with my life for the sake of the mission, to give yourself to the mission. They also want you to be praying. This is why they bring people up here. They want you to see their faces and to realize that the missionaries that you support and that you send out are real people, real people, just like you. And they have needs and they have desires and they have dreams and they're sacrificing like crazy to be of service to the kingdom of God. And they want your church wants you to consider how you might pray for them and you might lean into that in a way that you've never linked into it before. And of course, you know, the third thing, we always say that the best to last, right? They want you to consider that while this church is in a prosperous time, and it is in a prosperous time right now, that you could give of your wealth to the mission because from the very beginning, from the time of the apostles, the mission went forward as God's people who stayed at home supported those who walked around with the gospel. I wish we could have gone to that passage in 3 John. It's amazing what he says there. But that's what it says, basically. Those who walk around doing the mission need the support, the financial support of the people who stay at home. We're all on this mission together. And one day when the Lord returns, we will celebrate every participation we had. Everyone. Now, I think that as we've gone through these last three days, we've touched on a number of important topics about the mission. But tonight, I want to focus our attention on this sort of issue. Have you ever had people, people that you love, people that you care about, tell you, just leave me alone? Usually, those are not happy words. You've had some kind of fight or you've been fussing at them about something. And they just look at you and say, just leave me alone. And often that happens inside of families and it's 
difficult to get past that wall that goes up. But I think this is what I think is so very important about it is that expression, just leave me alone, is an expression that for all human appearances, we can expect to hear more and more and more in our country here as you let people know about who you are and what Jesus the King means to you. People will look at you and they'll say, it's okay for you to have your religion. It's okay, but just leave me alone. Sometimes that will be people in your family, maybe even your own children or your spouse. It can be even your parents. It can be neighbors. It can be people at work. And, you know, you're doing your best just to be a servant of Christ and a servant to them. And they'll just say to you in one way or another, it's okay, just stay over there. But leave me alone with all this religion stuff. That's an important reality of daily life that we experience because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul was experiencing as he wrote these words that we just read. He was very important to the Christian church at Corinth. In what country? Where is Corinth? I forget. In Greece, that's right. Can they go to Corinth if they go to Athens? They will. They will go to Corinth. You think about it. how many seats are left? Four. Four. Four people will be able to see Corinth. Who will it be? Who will it be? He was very vital to the church in Corinth. Many of the people there were his converts, and he had loved them. Um, but they kept having trouble in that church of a variety of sorts, and he kept on writing them letters. And by the time he writes this letter, which is actually at least his third letter to them, we don't have the very first one, but at least this is the third one. Maybe there were more. Um, Basically, what they're saying to him in the Corinthian church is this. Paul, thank you very much, but you can leave us alone now. We don't want you messing with us anymore. We've had enough. Thank you. Go away. But he can't do it. It's a big problem. He just can't let go of them. And in this passage we have, it's so very unusual for him to do this. He does this by, he expresses himself by opening his heart up to them. He's extremely vulnerable in ways that he's not in other parts of his letters. And he just opens up his heart. It's like peeling layers back. He goes deeper and deeper into what's going on inside of him that makes him unable to leave them alone. And I'm hoping that as we look at these words briefly tonight, that we can begin to ask ourselves the question, you know, what kind of person do I need to be that I can face people saying, leave me alone in one way or another, and yet stay the course, not give up, knowing that we are, we are called by God to serve the world and to bring them the good news of Jesus. So what was going on in his heart? That's the question. And what's going on in our hearts? The first thing I want you to notice here is that Paul says to the Corinthians this. He says, I can't leave you alone because I'm a changed person. Listen to how he does that, beginning in verse 16. So from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Here the apostle says, look, we used to think about people the way that everybody in the world thinks about people, but we don't do that anymore. 
So if you can imagine the human race like a gigantic pizza pie up here, think about how human beings treat each other. What do they do to handle this thing called humanity? Well, they think according to the flesh. This is the worldly way of thinking about people. They take that big pizza pie and they start slicing it one way and another and another. Between those that are like me and those that are different from me, those who have the education I have and those that don't have the education, those that have the money that I have and those who don't have the money, those who live close to me and those who live far from me, those who speak my language and those who don't speak my language, and on and on the cutting of the pie goes because that's the way we figure out to whom we're going to give our attention, who's worthy of our attention, who we're going to treat well and who we're going to ignore is by chopping up the pie in a thousand different pieces. And the apostle says, you know, I used to think about people that way, but I don't do that anymore. I've been changed. That's why he says in that well-known verse, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have gone away. New things have come. That's the famous verse in this section. But what he's talking about is that you become a new creation in the way you look at other people. In fact, he mentions here, we used to look at Jesus according to the flesh, but we don't do that anymore. So let me ask you a few questions here about Jesus. Now, the answer to all these questions is no, if you don't know the answer. So you can just shout out no. All right, here it goes. You ready? Was Jesus an American? No. Did he speak English? Did he have any money? Was he educated like you? Did he live in a nice house like you do? No. So according to the flesh, Jesus doesn't fit into any of the categories that would mean, oh, I need to pay attention to him. In fact, if Jesus, as he was 2,000 years ago, were to walk into the room tonight, we'd think he's a lunatic. But this one that we would once have called a lunatic, we call Lord. Why? Because we're changed. We're a part of what the Bible calls the new creation. The world that's coming, we're already a part of it. And old things have gone away, new things have come. We've been changed in the way we think about Jesus. And the apostle's saying, if you've been changed in the way you look at Jesus, you're changed in the way you look at other people too. So, what does it mean then to look at the world the way Jesus does? Think of the pizza pie again. There are many ways to summarize what Jesus would say, but there's a well-known passage where Jesus says this, slice the pie, slice it one time. You're either for me or you are against me. So everyone you meet every single day is either in Christ or in need of Christ. It's really that simple. Everyone you meet every day is either your brother and sister in the Lord Jesus or they need to be your brother and sister in the Lord Jesus. Can you live with that? But you know how easy it is to look at people according to the flesh. You know how easy it is. You're walking down the grocery store aisle in the cereal section and you see somebody that's coming toward you on the other side and they don't look like you, they don't talk like you, they don't dress like you. And all of a sudden you become interested in how many different brands of cornflakes there are on this shelf over here until they pass by. Because you don't want to speak to them. Now you know as well as I do, being Southerners as I am, born and raised in Virginia, I know you don't consider that Southern, but we do, okay? <laughs> Southwest Virginia, that is Southern, um, you know that when you see somebody that does look like you and talks like you and dresses like you, you know what you do in the grocery store aisle. You look at them, you say, hey, how you doing? 
And they say, doing fine, how about you? And you keep on moving. But the others, no thank you. The Apostle Paul was a Jew. The Apostle Paul was not welcomed in the Corinthian environment. The Apostle Paul was a religious fanatic with a foreign religion that he believed in. He was different from the Corinthians. They loved Corinthian culture. And he said, look, I still can't leave you alone because I am changed. They're not your children who hurt your feelings 20 years ago. They are either in Christ or they are in need of him. They're not your next door neighbor who fought with you over whether that tree was in your yard or their yard. They're either in Christ or they're in need of Christ. And you and I have to begin to look at people that way. Otherwise, we will never be able to engage in the mission of the church. Are you changed in the way you think about Jesus? Then change the way you think about everyone else. Okay, that's great. I just love that. I can't leave you alone. That would be crazy. I'm changed. How could I do that? But then he goes on. He says something else here. He says, I'm not just changed. I'm called by God. And this calling is an unbelievable calling. And you'll recognize that. Look at what he says in beginning in verse 18. He says, all this, that's all this change that's happened in him. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't walk around usually thinking of myself as having a ministry of reconciliation. It's kind of a tough one to get into and to sort of understand that we bear a message of reconciliation. So let's try to unpack it in a way that might mean something to us rather than let it be nice religious language. Um, imagine that you have two people who are enemies of each other for whatever reason. And somebody gets in the middle and between them and their job is to bring reconciliation between the two enemies. That's a ministry of reconciliation. My wife works in the large hospital in downtown Orlando and she is a part of the psycho department. Yeah, I said it, the psycho department, okay? Psychiatric department. And uh, that means I get a new diagnosis about every other week, okay? And so you can count on that. I've got about 100, eh, you know, I guess about 25 every year. And um, so I get to find out what's wrong with me in this way and that way. So this is what she does. A lot of her time is spent on standing between people that hate each other in the hospital and bringing reconciliation between them, making peace between them. Now, I hear that and I go, that's not the kind of job I want. No, thank you. Husbands and wives that don't like each other and I'm supposed to help them out with this? Mm, don't think so. But it's even worse than that for the Apostle Paul and for you and me. That would be easy compared to what we're talking about here. Because now we're talking about the holy God of heaven and earth and human beings who have made themselves the enemies of God and standing between those two and bringing about reconciliation. Now, I hear that, and you know what I think? Yuck. I don't think I want that. 
I really do want a private life, at least for a minute or two a day. So why in the world would I ever think of myself as somebody who could stand between the holy God of heaven and earth and people? Well, the apostle says he'd been given that. It was a calling from God. Now, I say, I don't want that. And you probably feel that way, too. Sort of like I didn't know I was signing up for that when I became a Christian. But here's the wonderful thing about the Apostle Paul. He didn't feel that it was a yucky job. He thought it was a grand job. Do you know how it goes? You've probably heard this passage before. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Now, I told you earlier, I grew up Southern Baptist, and um, every good Presbyterian was once a Southern Baptist. I need at least one amen on that one. Thank you very much. See how many you've got in here? Half your congregation. (laughs) Now, in my day, the teenage boys were part, they didn't, didn't have Boy Scouts in the Southern Baptist Church. They had what they called royal ambassadors. Anybody in here a royal ambassador? Thank you very much so they don't think I'm lying to them. And this was, our, this was our verse that we would recite every Wednesday night. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Okay? And, you know, we didn't have a clue what that meant. Not a clue. R.A., royal ambassador, meant for us rotten apples. Okay? So we didn't know what it meant. And frankly, I didn't know what it meant at all until I had a chance to meet an ambassador. So let me tell you about it. I was on a short-term mission trip with a group from First Pres, Jackson, Mississippi, and we were in what was then called Czechoslovakia. Okay? And Senator Trent Lott had arranged for us, our group, to meet the ambassador of the United States to Czechoslovakia. Well, I had sort of forgotten about it until a friend of mine, Ed Norton, came and woke me up early in the morning, shaking me like this. She said, Richard, 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 we're going to go to the embassy now. Get up, get up, get up. And I said, ah, I don't want to go. He said, no, he, no, you got to go because we're going to meet the ambassador. And you have to understand that the ambassador of the United States at that time was Shirley Temple. Now, for those of you who are too young to know who Shirley Temple is or was, um, she was a child movie star, a singer and dancer, okay? All right, so they get me out of bed, and I get in the back of the car putting my clothes on, changing my clothes to get dressed to meet the ambassador. Shirley Temple Black was her name at the time, okay? Wow, this is going to be cool. And so I'm the professor from the seminary, so everybody in the car saying, Rich, Rich, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? And I said, I'm not going to say anything. No, you got to. You're the professor. You got to say something. I said, okay, if you want me to talk, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask her to sing Good Ship Lollipop. <laughs> and you don't know me well enough to know, but if I think you think you're somebody, I'm going to let you know what I think about you. And so I was going to ask this woman to sing Good Ship Lollipop. So I'm having to go over the words. I'm the Good Ship Lollipop. And I knew it in the second line was Candy Shop. And I couldn't remember what was in between. So I'm going over. We're all trying to remember, remember. All right, I got it. Finally, I got it. We got to the embassy. I'm ready to go. We're marched up by the biggest, ugliest Marines I'd ever seen in my entire life up to her office. And her office was about, I guess, a third of the size of this room. It was a huge office. And she wasn't in there. Now, everybody else in the group was from Mississippi. So they knew what to do. They sat down and put their hands in their laps like a decent human being would, okay? Not me. I wasn't from Mississippi. So I started walking around the room, looking at things, 
Okay? And as I walked around, there were photographs of her, okay? Shirley Temple Black with the Queen of England. Now, she wasn't curtsying before the Queen. She was drinking champagne with her arm around the Queen of England. You follow the picture here? And then next thing I look and I see George Bush, the older, and then George Bush, the younger, Gorbachev of Russia. She was talking with him like they were buddies and laughing, slapping each other around and things. The Pope! By the time we got to somebody that looked like Mao, I'm not sure who he was exactly, but he looked like Mao to me. By the time I got to that picture, I'm impressed. This woman is not some little childhood movie star. She is the ambassador of the United States of America. And she knows the world leaders. And they know her. She's their friend. She speaks for my president. She speaks for my nation. She speaks for me. Okay, about that time when I had this epiphany of how important she was, the big French doors open up and she walks in. And of course, the group is in between her and me. And so there's, they all stand up and then there's this parting of the Red Sea right in the middle like this. And of course, I'm supposed to walk down the dry land and go up to the ambassador. And as I do this, sort of ritualistically, because it was a little awkward, as a ritualistically sort of walk up to her, there are these two students over here, like Henry kind of people, who are doing this. Richard, 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 Richard. Would they do that, Henry? Yeah, they do that. Oh, we want you to do this, Richard. Go for it, go for it, go for it. So I walked right up to her. I put my hand out and I said, how do you do, Madam Ambassador? It's a great privilege to meet you. And I sat down. I didn't ask her to sing Good Ship Lollipop. <laughs> didn't even come to my mind. It was gone because I finally realized what it meant to be an ambassador. What an honor she had. How insignificant she was. How important she was. And she deserved my respect and my honor for that. And I hope she felt it that day. <laughs> well, I have to tell you something about you. In comparison with Shirley Temple Black, she had, she had nothing over you. Shirley Temple Black was the ambassador of the United States of America, one among many nations that will come and go like every other nation in the history of humanity. You are an ambassador for the king of the universe, whose kingdom will never end whose kingdom will continue to grow and to expand over the whole world until the Father tells him, come back and make all things new. How in the world could we possibly think that that is something beneath our honor, beneath us, to speak and to know that it is as if God himself were speaking through us to the world. Be reconciled to God. Could you want anything more than that? So when you have opportunities to let people know what you just simply know what you believe. It is as if God himself were speaking through you. Be reconciled to God. So the mission is about being a changed person, not looking at the world anymore according to the flesh. But it's also taking a little pride in the fact that you are an ambassador of the king who will never fail and whose kingdom will never end. You have nothing to be ashamed of. You have every reason in the world to be happy and delighted to speak for him. Amen to that.
See why I love this passage so much? I can't leave you alone. I'm the ambassador of the king. Then he touches on a third thing here. There's another C letter if you want to, if you're keeping count here. <laughs> Change, call. There's another one here. I'm not going to tell you what the C word is yet. I'm going to give this little preface to it. This is the hard one. I believe that most Presbyterians, when they hear, you know, I should change the way I think about people, I think we'll try to do that. And I think if you say to somebody who's a good Presbyterian and you say, you know, you really ought to be delighted to be an ambassador for the king of the universe, you'll try to do that too. I think, you know, we're doing our best to be faithful to followers of Jesus, right? We're trying, doing our best. Those two we can do. We just bear down and do it. This last one's harder. It starts with a C. Listen to what he says. I'm going to go back in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Implore. That's not a word we use very often. But the King James Bible that I memorized as a child is even worse. Does anybody know what this says in the King James Bible? We, does anybody know? Starts with a B. We beseech thee, be reconciled to God. Like how many times have you beseeched anybody about anything? Okay. Okay. And implore, well, we kind of know what that means. But other translations will put it like this. We plead with you. We plead with you, be reconciled to God. We beg you. Be reconciled to God. You catch the emotional overtones there? I want you to notice what he doesn't say. We preach at you, be reconciled to God. Now, in other places he does, but not here. We fuss at you, be reconciled to God. We scold you, be reconciled to God. We argue with you, be reconciled to God. That's not what he's expressing here, not those attitudes. There is a place for most of those attitudes in one time or another, but it's not here in this passage. He says, look, I am imploring you. I'm beseeching you. I'm pleading with you. I'm begging you. Be reconciled to God. Most parents have either experienced this kind of thing themselves with their own children or they've seen other parents that do this. And you know how it goes. It's something like this. When your teenage child does something that's just terrible, I mean, quite wayward and embarrassing and a hardship on you, you know, the first reaction normally is the couple will sit down with the child and the mother is afraid of what the father's going to do because we know what the father's normal reaction is going to be, these kinds of things. He's going to be angry. So he's going to be yelling at the kid and he's going to be saying things like, how could you do this? How could you embarrass our family this way? We've taught you better than this. You know better than this. I'm going to ground you for the next 15 years. You think you're going to go to college? You're not even going to go to college. You're going to be grounded and locked into your bedroom for all those years. How about that? And the poor wife is sitting over there saying, oh, Lord, please don't let him say anything more. Just let him be quiet for a few minutes because anger is the first reaction of most men to things like that. But if that child does not turn around, if that child remains on that path of self-destruction, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's other sorts of things like that, eventually the hardest father's heart will just break. 
and he will look at his precious daughter or his precious son and he will say, please stop doing this. You don't know what this is going to do to you. Please listen to me. You need to turn around. That's what the apostle's saying. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Now, you don't have to say those exact words, but you understand the attitude it describes. It's so easy, especially in an election year in the United States of America now, to be looking to see what kind of signs, political signs, people put in their neighborhoods or what beliefs you think they have or what party you think they represent and just become so angry with them you can hardly stand to look at them, much less reach out to them with the good news of Jesus. Is that not true? To be angry with others, to fuss at them, to scold them, to preach at them. Be reconciled to God. What's wrong with you anyway? Don't you know anything? But the apostle is saying this. He's saying, look, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus and someone who cannot let go of others and who will not listen to them when they say, leave me alone, I don't want your religion, you've got to care about them. And you've got to care about them deeply. And the question for us, of course, is, do we? You know, we believe in a doctrine called election. Have you ever heard of that one before in this church? And I hate to tell you this, but it only takes about 15 minutes before the elect become the elite. And we sort of figure we deserve to be chosen. And it's just the opposite. It's just the opposite. Our hearts need to break for the lost. Our hearts need to be tender toward them, reaching out to them with the message of reconciliation. We implore you on Christ's behalf. The Apostle Paul says, I can't leave you alone because I'm changed and there's this new creation. Aren't you glad Jesus has brought the new creation? Aren't you glad that Jesus has made you a part of it? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't leave you alone, that he changed you? He says, I've got a great calling. I'm the ambassador for Christ. Aren't you glad Jesus was the ambassador for the Father? Aren't you delighted to know that he brought the truth to the world and that you were able to receive it and to make it your own? And aren't you glad that our King Jesus cared enough about you and me, cared enough to reconcile us to God. If you know at all what Jesus does for you day after day in kindness, in hope, in destiny for you, then you can see why it would be that we need to be caring about others around us too. Just leave us alone. Why can't you just leave me alone? And the answer is this. We've been changed. We've been called. We care. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, how we do bless you. Thank you for bringing the new world of change. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for representing the Father so perfectly in this world. 
and allowing us to hear your words as the Father's ambassadors. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you care so much. Make us like you, Lord. Holy Spirit, conform us to Jesus. Make us like him so that we can be changed and we can be called and we can care too. Amen.